Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Mic. This is a event music podcast series hosted by me, Freddie Cocker, as part of the Just Checking In podcast. Vent is a place where everyone, but especially men and boys, can open up about their mental health issues, break down stigmas and start conversations. In each episode of Behind the Mic, I check in with artists across different music scenes in the UK and beyond. We talk all about their musical journeys, their artistry and most importantly, the person behind the mic. My special guest for this episode of Behind the Mic is R&B and pop artist and vocalist Yasmin Dyer. Yasmin is the current partner of previous Behind the Decks guest Ryan Doyle, who helped me connect with her. Yasmin loved musical theatre from a young age, as well as dance and drama, and was auditioning for musical theatre schools before she decided to switch to just music and landed on auditioning for the London College of Contemporary Music during the COVID-19 lockdown, which she successfully got into. She then met Ryan and made an absolute banger called Cry For Love and she began to alter the path she wanted to go on, crystallising a desire to be an artist and making R&B music after meeting one of her music mentors called Marie. In this episode we discuss her music journey and her transition from musical theatre to music and entering the music industry. Her debut EP which will be coming out in early 2024 around April May time and her plans to do more shows as she develops her sound. For music industry issues, we discuss the ultra-competitive nature of the industry itself and the mental health impact that's had on her, as well as an element of comparison culture she used to feel. For Yasmin's mental health, we discuss the impact that her parents' divorce had on her when she was 12 years old, the people-pleasing it triggered in her, and her struggles with that as a teenager, adult, and what other parts of her life it has affected. We also discuss her diagnosis of OCD when she was around 15 and 16 years old. Yasmin's OCD manifests in rituals and we explore these rituals and what she did, how that impacted her daily mental health, the cognitive behavioural therapy or CBT she has done to manage these rituals, finding the right balance in life and her recent ambition to become a personal trainer alongside her music as well. So get yourself comfy and have a listen as I go behind the mic with Yasmin Dyer. Yasmin, welcome to Behind the Mic. Thank you so much for coming on and letting me check in with you. We met when your current partner, Ryan, and friend of the pod, did a DJ set for another friend of the pod, Jay Morgan Kelly. <laughs> and I also saw you perform brilliantly with Ryan at his debut headline show. And here we are. Thank you for coming to my flat in East London to record this. How are you, pal? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's absolutely freezing outside. So I do appreciate you coming over because uh, no, I, I so can't cool. imagine <laughs> that to me. It was nice. You've already had a very varied journey in life, despite being quite early into it when it comes to music as an artist and a person. So without further delay, are you ready to start the show and talk all about it? Yeah, let's do it. Let's start the pod as we always do on Behind the Mic Power by talking about your music journey. So I ask all my artists on this topic this question first. Tell me how your love affair with music began. What were some of your favourite records or music idols growing up and how you first got into singing, writing and playing instruments? Okay, so 
I've been on like a long journey with music. Mm. When I was younger, my parents put me into stagecoach, which I'm forever grateful for because I met some lifelong friends there. Yeah, stagecoach so, is musical theatre for the yeah, listeners. Musical don't know. Yeah, musical theatre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And musical theatre was my life for like so long. I always knew school just never came naturally to me. So I always knew that it was going to be a creative direction throughout my whole life but I did shows I loved musical theatre I was obsessed with it what um, was your specialty was it dance was it singing was it it's always been singing tap? <laughs> <laughs> it's always been singing but I did do dance for many years mm-hmm. and I'm so grateful I did because I love it so I went on that journey did that for so many years and then I got to college I started with musical theatre and then I was like no I'm going to take jazz and popular music mm-hmm. some drastic change there <laughs> just something didn't feel right with it and then I auditioned for musical theatre schools for university which was just tough because that was in lockdown so you had to film everything from all the dances the singing like in your flat yeah, yeah. I did it in a, in my house at the time because right. I was living at home but that was just crazy that must have been weird it was the most draining thing though and like usually in an audition you'd go in and you could build up to it you know yeah Yeah, but it's also like one take you have one chance right when you're recording something you just look at it over and over again and you're like oh my gosh like this is i I keep watching it over and like this isn't good enough this isn't good enough and it really triggers the perfectionism angle yeah Yeah. you've got to get to a point where you just got to send it so that was that and i didn't get into as many places as i wanted to so I was like, you know what, I'm going to try a different angle and go into like the actual music side. And then that's where I auditioned for LCCM, mm-hmm. got in. That's um, the London College of Contemporary, Contemporary Music. music. Okay. Yeah, which oh. is where I study now. Right. And why was that the place that you wanted to go versus other places? So I had a few friends that went to Trinity Laban. It was the first year they did their popular music course and they got into there, but I didn't get in which is the best thing in disguise because I'm so glad I didn't but I had my mindset on that and because I didn't get in I was like oh actually let me try somewhere else I didn't know anywhere else at the time because mm. I, I'd fixated so much on the musical theatre side and done all the research for all the schools there that when it came to the music schools I didn't really know any mm. and I didn't want to go to a really prestige one because that's just not me so LCCM was much more relaxed and chill and it is wasn't like jazz hands in the corridor stereotypes no 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 (laughs) and also like my music theory isn't very good and wasn't very good when I first started whereas like places like Royal College of Music and stuff like that Mm. they're very very smart and like you would have studied like classical singing and stuff like that and I've just never done that so for me LCCM was the right place so Mm. that's where I went Mm. and that's where I am now and how has that journey been from getting the acceptance letter to now? Yeah, so even actually going back to musical theatre, even when I first auditioned for LCCM, I still wanted to do a bit of musical theatre. But I knew that going to somewhere that did music in general would broaden my horizons a little bit. Mm-hmm. because musical In what the- sense? Because musical theatre is very... You go there and you study musical theatre. You're kind of in that category and in that category only. And also because I'm so tall. <laughs> Taller than me. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd struggle to get any... Like, it's, it's such a tough industry. Like, even if you have, like, size eight feet, which is what I do, if they have size seven shoes, you won't get the part. It's, like, little things like that. And it's such a tough industry. I mean, the music industry is tough anyway. Mm. But you're just in that box. And I think it's quite a toxic 
environment anyway but that's mm. my opinion i still appreciate music theater i'd love to go watch it but anyway when i started lccm that's was still what i was wanting to do but i was like okay i'll sing a few pop songs here and there and then i just went down the journey and i met ryan mm-hmm. which is when we wrote his first single no second single cry for love and i was like oh actually i can do this because mm. i was like i've never written a song before so I just didn't think I could do it. And then we did that and I was like, actually, like, this is quite fun and <laughs> this is what I want to do. So I started definitely in that side of things, like mm. the pop side. And then I did my first single, Fire in My Heart, with Ryan. He produced it and we put that out last January. But I just had people in my ear. There was just something that wasn't 100%. Like, I was happy with it and like it's still like a cool song, but it definitely wasn't me. And I'm forever grateful I started with the pop side of it and I, I wouldn't have been where I am without it. But I've definitely grown into myself and like I met people along the way, like my singing teacher, Marie. Marie Dahlstrom, she's an amazing artist and she's helped me so much like craft my art and who I am. So I've just headed down the more like R&B route. I will still always have that pop side of me just because mm. I've never had like the jazz experience really. So I'm now, I released my first single of the new me yesterday, mm. which is exciting. So yeah, I'm mm. just plodding along in that side mm. of things now. No, it sounds great. There must be some pros to being tall in the industry, right? Like, I don't know, dance. Everyone's tall who does dance, right? <laughs> I mean, Chicago, for example, the musical, they've all got long legs. But I left dance, I don't remember how, I was probably 16 maybe. And I haven't taken up since, so I kind right. of lost the... I wasn't good enough, basically, I don't okay. think. And it's just so tough. Yeah. Like, take musical theatre. I have a friend now who takes musical theatre, and she was like, our teacher said to us the other day that in this room of, like, 30 people, two of us will make it. God, brutal. And I'm like, that's just, like, nah. But then, obviously, <laughs> you've then... Obviously, you can go into things like teaching musical theatre and different aspects like that, but obviously, you're then just down this one avenue, and I'm so glad I didn't take it. I'm so mm. glad. And it's a blessing in disguise I didn't get into these places. Let's talk about your journey as an artist in depth now. So you didn't take a stage name, which is my first question done. How would you describe your sound for the listeners who haven't heard of you? Wow. Um, I actually came up, well, Ryan came up with this word, effervescent. And I've been stuck. <laughs> that sounds <with> very right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, I wouldn't have come up because I didn't know what it meant at the beginning. But that's definitely one word to describe it. Definitely chill. Because... Mm. I'm chill as a person. You sound very chill. Yeah. (laughs) In comparison to me. (laughs) I'm very chill as a person. I can't create music that isn't chill because... Doesn't reflect who you are. It doesn't reflect who I am. And I feel like that's why I fit much more down the R&B route than I do the pop because R&B, I feel like, can be quite chill. And obviously you can have chill pop, but... And also on stage, doing that Ryan's headline was something that I would never usually do, go up and, like, dance on... whether I was dancing or not, but bopping, bopping, yeah, that's the way, like bopping to the song. That's not what I enjoy doing necessarily. Like it was fun, but for me to go up and do a set, it's much more intimate. So yeah, chill, effervescent, intimate. Mm. Okay. Do you think that your vocals reflect who you are as a person? Because there's a real sort of sultriness and depth to them. Is that what you wanted to convey when you started on this new R&B journey? A hundred percent. Also, I've found that the songs that I'm writing now and the songs that I sing 
if I cover like an R&B song my voice just fits it so much mm-hmm. better and I'm quite lucky that I can do a lot of genres mm-hmm. But it's also a con because that's why I struggled so much to find yes, my sound. Yeah. Like, I enjoy singing Ryan's songs. I enjoy singing pop songs like Adele, for example. I love singing that. But I love also singing R&B. My voice can do that. A range, yeah. A range. Yeah. So, yeah, I struggled to find that. But it's definitely the sweet spot. Mm. For my vo- and my vocals are quite, like, warm-toned, I'd mm, say. And, mm, like, I agree soft so yeah Yeah. i always ask this question on behind the mic yes to expose the myths and show the realities of being an artist in the music industry that your friends or your family or your listeners might not see so so what are some of the realities you've experienced positive or negative that have affected your mental health whether that's work-life balance relationships something else entirely yeah so i actually struggle with this a lot is like balancing everything Mm. because Obviously, I've got uni, but I'm quite lucky, I guess lucky or not lucky, whatever way you look at it, that we're not actually in much. Someone's been paying a lot of money for not much (laughs) work time, but it gives me a lot of scope outside of uni to kind of do what I please. But obviously, music's so expensive to get producers, to get like... Mixed, mastered, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's... Studio time. It's just Mm. crazy money. Mm. And obviously, then you've got to pay for your stuff to get out there because you've got to fight against everyone else on social media i'm a nanny as well so i nanny every day which obviously is tough in general it's quite tiring (laughs) i can't lie but it is enjoyable so i've got that as well and then i'm also training to be a personal trainer a lot of strings to the bow yeah because i also always have in the back of my mind that i obviously want to make it of course Mm -hmm. and like i put my all into music but there's always that part of me that's like "Mm, I've got to have something else Mm -hmm. because it's such a tough industry and even if it becomes my part-time job I've still got to have something else but I want to have something else that I enjoy which is obviously personal training and I'm studying to do that which is great and then also just living (laughs) I, I, I do struggle to juggle it all and I also deal with stress very differently to a lot of people i'm sure a lot of people deal with the same as me but i get so tired i get tired so easily it doesn't take much for me to get tired but i think it's due to stress and like how i'm managing everything but also i'm an organized person as well so it's not like i'm unorganized and i'm all over the place and that kind of thing but i've also started like band rehearsals because i've got a show it's just there's so much stuff to try and fit in it's just crazy so balancing that and then also seeing family me and ryan obviously live together so we see each other a lot but we've also struggled with actually having time just us outside of music Mm, mm. because also it's great that we're both in that industry together it can be all consuming can't it yeah yeah, because you've also got you talk about music all the time Mm. Where it's like actually let's just chill, <laughs> and also it means there's a one way message that's going to be out this podcast. That's going to be it. Let's just chill. Yeah, because I, I just want to chill sometimes. Yeah. But I didn't realise that I actually really struggled to switch off as well. Mm. So I've spoken to my therapist a lot about this, and like even when you're sat on the sofa watching TV and you're like scrolling on Instagram, you're like, oh, you're not this- present, are you? Yeah. No, you're not watching it- the thing that you're meant to be watching. No, yeah. and also although you think you're switching off by just chilling you're not because I'm there saving videos that oh I like this content this is cool oh what can I do next never stops my does pe- it yeah no and it's like I need to like have that time to just switch off but I'm like when do I do that <laughs> so like it is a lot to you, you work it out pal you work it out yeah of course and I'd rather be busy than yes not busy yeah yeah 
so I'm forever grateful for mm. everything I'm doing. When it comes to the stage, what does that provide for your mental health? Terror. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was expecting. I'm going to be honest. Performing for me brings so much anxiety. Why? Because I definitely have imposter syndrome for one. And Why two, is that? I don't know. <laughs> I genuinely don't know. But there's probably reasons I haven't worked out yet. But I've got a headline show that I booked, or whether I'll call it a headline show, like an EP launch mm-hmm. in May. Cheeky bit of promo. Um, but we'll put a link in the description. <laughs> <when this is out. laughs> and the thought of it just makes me feel sick. And I, why did I book that? Because <laughs> because it's like the th- everyone's there to watch me, which is obviously great. But I'm like, oh my god, like it's got to be so good. And like I'm such a perfectionist, I'm like, I can't mess up. Like but there's always going to be mistakes in sets, pal. You've got to course, be able to accept that. Of course, there is, and I know that. But I don't know. Like when I did musical theatre, it was great because I was pretend to be someone else and like you're acting like I feel like that might be part but now it's you now it's fully you yeah Yeah. and also because my songs are so yeah intimate and it's all about the voice and da 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 I'm like this is tough and like I get so worked up before shows I honestly don't know why because I go up there I'm one song in and I chill yeah I chill out I've heard that I've heard that a lot from other guests pal this is why this is what I do and then I get off and I'm like, why was I panicking before? But then next time I do it again. <laughs> so actually, it stresses me the hell out. Have you found a way to break that cycle where nerves are just ways of making you focus? Um, not yet. Okay. But it's never consumed me to the point where I can't go up and do it. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, I know nerves are good. Nerves mean you care. Yeah, of course. You know I mean? That's what I always describe them as. I just feel like I need to deal with it a little bit better only because when i get off stage it's like i just have a rush of like i feel the endorphin horrendous. rush is mad isn't it oh you feel horrendous no oh, so okay. i have an endorphin rush and then like half an hour later i've got the yeah, worst, you crash i've yeah. got the worst headache like oh I feel, really because the tension headaches been, yeah. yeah 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 i was like i come off stage and i can't i can't have that every single time mm. like I feel it's not so, sustainable is it yeah no yeah. but i've always said i'm never going to be the person that goes around and just gigs all the time mm-hmm. i'd love to do like one massive show a year or something like that unless i was like mega famous and i was on <laughs> tour but i'm just thinking like realistically yeah i i don't know what it is so gigging with my mental health is <laughs> just yeah anxiety. okay you work it out you work it out positive manifestations out. when it comes to the artistry which outlet out of singing songwriting playing instruments or performing has the biggest impact on your mental health or the most positive um well songwriting for one because mm-hmm. obviously when i write about something i'm obviously writing about mainly stuff i struggle with because it's just a let out cathartic yeah and mm. you just let it out on paper and let it's it your out. release valve exactly mm. and then i actually also love hearing the final product like that's so good and i love listening to it because i'm like oh even the whole production it brings the song alive Mm -hmm. i love that that's Mm -hmm. another part but definitely songwriting you let it out don't you yeah exactly i want to move on to industry issues now the main one you wanted to talk about is competition and the very ultra competitive nature of the music industry so now we're in an era where Thanks to democratisation, you know, anyone can be an artist, anyone can be a producer or a DJ, which is great, despite what all the big DJs say. However, what that also means is that the market is even more saturated. Mm. So just tell me how this has impacted your mental health and why. Yeah, so I really struggle with the whole competitive side of it. I think I've been 
open to a lot of it at uni because everyone's just fighting for the top spot. Is it like artistic peacocking? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I think so. <laughs> and it's like, in my eyes, I'm like, we're all so different. Like, why are we all fighting for... I don't even know what it's insecurity people, probably I, a little bit, isn't it? It is. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know even what we're fighting for. Mm. It's like one of those things where we're all... Status. So, yeah, exactly. And it's like, what? So just because we have a thousand more followers than you, we're better than you. No, we're God, all, what, a, what a world. Yeah. What a and, world we're living in now. <laughs> and oh. I, just, I just don't like that part of it. And you're going to get that in most industries. And so there's always going to be competitive sides of things. There's always going to be someone better than you as well. Like, it's just a fact of life. Oh, yeah. Exactly. So, also, I can't compare myself to a country singer. Of course doing not. Doing country music. Or a rock band, or whoever. Like. Exactly, because we're going to end up in different avenues anyway, so I'm mm. like, why are we all being nasty? And it actually happens, I find, a lot more in females. Really? Yeah, because... Actually, why am I surprised by that? That, that makes complete <laughs> sense. It's female singers, because you get people that just pick at you and it's like it's a psychological aspect of it right yeah 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 and I don't do very well with people picking I get told that I'm too soft and I let people walk over me uh, which who tells you that these people picking (laughs) no 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 no, no. it's true in some senses because I sometimes don't what does soft mean though pal do you know what I mean like what does that even mean it's great being soft as a person but in the music industry you've got to be a bit tough and I need to build that little bit more backbone because like with this new EP, for example, if I had a problem with, if I listened to it and I was like, oh, I'm not sure about that, I'd then feel bad. But you shouldn't for, feel bad because no. you want it to be the product that you enjoy. <laughs> exactly. So that's We're what, working through this on this podcast, yeah. mate. <laughs> that's what people mean. The people that are close to me mean that I'm too soft in that sense. Yeah, maybe they should reframe it. Maybe they should, they should say you should be more confident in yourself. Rather than say you're too soft. I always try and change the language. Yeah, they say that as well. But yeah, I worry about what people think. And Which people though? Who are you listening to? It's always good to listen to people, but it's got to be the right people. The ones you trust. Yeah, 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 of course. And I I meant more like people that I'm not close to. I always worry about what they think. And I'm like, why? Because it's the people that are close to me that they're close to me for a reason. You're getting it (laughs) now. (laughs) I am. The cogs are whirring. (laughs) And I always find this with myself. I'm very good at like giving advice and realising things, but I can't take it on. Mm. (laughs) It's so much harder to take your own advice. But yeah, I will never understand the competitive side to this industry. Of course, there's always going to be a bit because if you're the same as someone else and you're going for one... I guess... But you're not going for one role. I don't think there's... You should be supporting people around you. And I've just... Uni, shady. Uh, I, <laughs> I've come across a few nasty people. And mm. it's not nice. They're not quiet about it. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And I'm like, why are you even commenting on me? I was like, we're, we're so different. But then you're so nice to my face. And I'm like, but you're not behind my back. Mm. So, but then again, I can't let the uni that I'm at and the people that are around me necessarily shape my whole outlook on the industry obviously there's going to be people like that but it's not all going to be like that yeah do you know you've got to reframe it as you've got to reframe it as like the reason they're trying to take you down is because they're threatened by you so just i take it as a compliment but it's hard to get to that stage when they're being mean do you know what i mean so yeah exactly and like i always think that but obviously like when you know that they're saying stuff it's like yeah it's hard in the moment isn't it Yeah, Yeah. yeah so yeah, the competitive side is just not a bit of me. And I'm not really a competitive person in general. Like, you know how some people, like, you know when you're at a family games night and it's like, 
you've had the really competitive yes a lot of men will do this (laughs) I'm just not like that so I'm just not built to be competitive anyway but there's healthy competition of course yeah yeah, and like you might see someone that like is your really good friend and you're like oh that's so sick I want to do something like that yeah you want to be inspired by it sure yeah, yeah inspired that's the right word instead of like picking at people just because you're jealous let's talk about positive things now because you mentioned the ep which is coming out in may so what can people expect from that definitely a lot of heartfelt realism like heartfelt realism. <laughs> wow we're really getting in depth here vulnerability they're all songs that mean something to me when i wrote them and still mean stuff now and also what i like about the songs is you can also shape them as a listener into your own way and into your own experiences because I want people to connect from it from the outside and they're just nice songs to listen to really Mm, that's nice (laughs) like there's four songs on the EP and they're all about different topics and all mean something different to me which is nice let's reflect on your music journey so far Yaz so what has it taught you about yourself um it has taught me well I need to be more confident for one but it's taught me that this is what I want to do, for sure. It's crystallised it. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I think it's helped the fact that I've found my sound. I put that in quotations because it's, a, it's such, a, such a weird it's thing. It's an evolving to... thing. You don't want to pigeonhole yourself, do you? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely what I want to be doing. Like, I'm so happy with the EP that I've made and what I'm still creating beyond this EP. But yeah, and then also to be more confident because I just need to believe in myself a bit more mm. because it's such like... A mentally draining industry you just need to be resilient and tough mm. and it's so different because like obviously you've had ryan on this podcast we're so different mm. in the sense that he's so like resilient he's had to build that though d- yeah of course yeah of course resilience isn't something you just well i'd say for the majority of people it's not something just inbuilt it's, yeah it takes time it, yeah you have to go through negative experiences to be better equipped to deal with more negative experiences 100 so. percent. and he also deals with things so differently. differently as well yeah. yeah yeah i'm much more if something happens i'm like i curl up in a ball and want to cry whereas he's just like well let's prove him wrong then do you know what i mean like we're so you want to sit in the emotion <laughs> he wants to power through it yes yeah, yeah that's quite a yin and yang for stereotypical female male approaches to emotion as well to be fair yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's true but yeah you can learn from each other though he might it's... be able to learn how to sit in the emotion a little bit better and you might be able to 100%, power through it 100 percent. it's why i think we work so well yeah because if we were both, like, resilient, we'd be at each other all the time. Whereas... <laughs> or not protesting anything. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But I, I also take after my mum in that sense as well. Okay. Like, I feel like she's very emotional and she's very chill and very just living Go life. with the flow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. We've talked about Yasmin, the artist, and the previous musical theatre artist. Let's go behind the mic and talk about your own mental health journey, pal. So I ask all my special guests on this topic this question first too. Take me back to early life, childhood, teenage years, and looking back, were there any early mental health experiences, if any? Who's the Yasmin we meet here? Wow. Um, So from an early age, I feel like I had a really nice upbringing. I was very lucky and fortunate with my upbringing. Like we had a nice house, we went on nice holidays, and we did things as a four- me and my brother actually have a seven-year age gap, which is actually wow, quite big. Okay. Yeah, so it was me for like seven years, and then he came along, and yeah, I, I, we had a nice childhood. And then at the age of, uh, I think I was like thirteen, I want to say, my parents actually divorced, mm-hmm. which 
was one of the hardest things I've ever had to deal with. Just because, obviously, your life falls apart, really, at that point. And you're quite... You're not self-aware, but you're aware enough at 13. He, like, your brother was six, so. My brother wasn't really aware. Yeah. I think he's struggled with it more recently okay because obviously when you get older you start to realize things Mm. don't you whereas i was more at an age where i kind of understood to a certain degree you understood consequences more and stuff. yeah exactly and i remember the day my mom told me we were walking back from my brother's football game and i was like why is dad sleeping in the spare room and and she was like i'm just gonna have to say it so she told me and I just remember bawling my eyes out. I was like, I want my nan, I want my nan. <laughs> and I go on to that, like, my grandparents are, like, my favourite people ever. They're, like, my biggest supporters. I get emotional talking about them, actually. <laughs> I'm forever grateful for them. And they would do absolutely anything for me and my brother, which is just something that I'm so grateful for. But, yeah, that moment was horrible. Like, it feels was like, like your world's collapsing, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. And also, at that age, you don't necessarily see it coming. Of course I not, feel no. like if I was this age now and my parents split, I'd kind of see it coming more. Because yeah. you're obviously at an age where you understand. And also, my mum would probably confide in me a bit more. Do you know what I mean? Like, at the age of 13, your parents aren't going to come to you. And- <laughs> no healthy parents, anyway. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, no, yeah. yeah exactly. So... Yeah, the fact that when you don't see it coming, it's even worse. Mm. So that was when it all fell apart. And then when my dad moved out, he actually then found a partner very quickly. Very quickly in my eyes, whether he thinks that or not. And I think the way that was dealt with affected me a lot. And actually, obviously I was... Like quite that quick transition, you mean? Yes. So when I found out to when they moved in was very very quick and circumstances on their end they probably had to yeah they moved in and then ever since that happened my relationship with my dad has just like gone down a slope Mm. how hard has that been that's been like the worst thing to deal with because you said you felt half in half out yeah like we're very much now in this situation where it's like we might text every now and then and it's like but what I meant by half in, half out is like, we're kind of in this little... How Purgatory you, thing. Yeah, it's yeah. like, hi, how are you? Um, yeah, good, you? Yeah, cool. And like, that's, that's it. That's creepy. I mean, but I'm a, like, a, lot, a lot of dads do do that. My dad only sends me long texts <laughs> when he's talking about the football. So, <laughs> <laughs> otherwise it's thumbs up, okay. But yeah, yeah, I hear you, I hear you. Yeah, but it's like, we never see each other really. When we do, it's just like... But also, why our relationship has gone down recently or the more recent years is because i've fallen out with his right. wife yeah right so obviously to him he's like oh my my wife that's like, his new world yeah yes yeah. so it's like i've kind of chosen to walk out that but i've chosen to walk out of that situation for a reason sure i didn't just one day wake up and be like yeah i'm not speaking i'm waking i'm waking up with violence yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. we had like so many situations where it was like over like three years it's like we'd get on then we wouldn't and then they'd say something i'd say something that just build up and build yeah up, and it yeah. was like this is just so stressful and it was stressful for him but the one thing is like now i've never asked him to choose between me and that's his wife, you, yeah. right never ever because that's just unfair mm. but in his eyes i feel like i've either got to get on with her or we're gonna have a just no, it's cold turkey. Yeah, yeah. It's not, that's also not a fair position to be put in. But yeah, yeah. So it's I have written a song. My next single is actually about 
him and, and the situation we're in because it's affected me so much and it's like I'm constantly in this cycle where like he's my dad so I feel so much emotion towards it and like I am always like oh I don't want to let him down but then I'm like why am I so worried about letting him down now like I've he's let me down so much mm. and oh, <laughs> it's just a crazy families are complicated yeah and I think yeah. oh, and he said so many things like it was when we had an argument about his wife at one point it was like if we don't sort this out then me and you are going to have a strained relationship. And then I was like, why are we having a strained relationship? And also in this situation, right, his wife is an adult as well, mm. who has kids. She should understand that. Obviously, I don't know what goes on in their life. Mm. So I don't know what is happening in their side of things. But to me... We should be able to fix this or find a resolution. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's like when I spoke to her about everything, she then blocked me. And I was like, you're 40, 50 years old, 50 years old. Why are you blocking me? And I was like... It's like the Bowling for Soup song says, pal, high school never ends. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Something, and like, yeah. But in their eyes, I started it because I unfriended them on Facebook. And I'm like, oh, I was like, I unfriended you on Facebook because you constantly post about my dad when he's not really being the best to me mm. and it's like oh he's the amazing guy. sure yeah. and i was like i don't really want to see that necessarily and like you know when like you follow someone on instagram and they're just being toxic and you're like, i mute them to be fair <laughs> yeah yeah but I'm it's too much drama to unfollow and then they're yeah but yeah, yeah but at that point i was like i'm just gonna fair. Yeah. do you know what i mean and the three years has been a long slog of fighting constantly then being best friends and i'm like the relationship that i had with them I in my eyes childish at that point mm. because it's like fake friend like we're never gonna get on mm. and I got to the point where we've got to accept we're never gonna get on and just be civil yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and his wife doesn't want a relationship with me so it's not just one-sided mm. it's not just me not wanting a relationship with her but I don't think my dad sees it in that way which is why we're, we're now That's in like the conflict, this yeah. predicament has that bled yeah. into other areas of your life we spoke about people pleasing in our chat affair do you think that's bled into other areas of your life i think so because when i think when you're trying to please someone so much and they just keep letting you down or not giving you what you need what back, you yeah. need especially from someone so influential in your life mm-hmm. like it's your dad like yeah you, do you know what i mean so i think yes it has led me to want to please people because I don't want to be let down. And I, I hate that feeling of, like, people not giving me... I, th- I think it also doesn't help with the imposter syndrome. Like I, I hate being in a room and I'm like, oh, do they actually want to be here? Because I'm like... When when I meet, like, with my dad, I was like, does he actually want to be here? <laughs> it all links back, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, I think a lot of my mental health and my emotions and stuff has come from the divorce and mm. just the way things have been dealt with. My mum's been brilliant, by the way. Like, she's like my mum and dad in two at the minute. Like, she's just great. Like, she understands everything and I tell her everything. I'm so grateful for that. So I'm, like, so grateful I at least have one amazing connection. Also, my grandparents again. Like, mm. Did so, your grandfather take on a more a hundred, paternal role? A hundred percent. Yeah. So I'm still so lucky that I've got them. I... 
I'm a people pleaser in recovery myself and I struggled with it for years and years and years for similar reasons to you but related to bullying rather than to a divorce and I found great comfort in reading a book called Letting Go Now by Karen Casey which talks a lot about detachment theory mm. so is that something that you've looked into what other tools have you learned to try and manage the people pleasing or even overcome it in certain respects because I can never fully overcome it but I have Mm. managed to overcome certain aspects of it and put healthy boundaries in place yeah as I get older or as I'm experiencing more things and especially with music and this whole like competitiveness it's definitely come to more alight this people pleasing thing because as I said like when you go into a room and it's someone has an opinion you're like oh yeah yeah let's do that and I'm like why am I saying yeah? Because I'm like, it's my gig. Mm-hmm. Like they're playing for me. Obviously I'm grateful that they're my band and they're playing for me, but why just because they want to play the song, if I don't want to play it, why, why am I saying yeah? Yeah. Like, don't acquiesce so easily. Yeah. Mm. And it's like imposter syndrome, people pleasing. It's all coming into one really mm. for me. Um, they're not a nice cocktail. No. And I am working on, I mean, I'm going to read that book now. You said it. Um, <laughs> I'll but, send you the link after this. Yeah. I think I actually might, I may have already sent you it. <laughs> Maybe you did, but I think I need to really look into it a bit deeper, actually, and, like, understand why I'm doing this people-pleasing thing. I think I know why, stemming from situations with, the, like, the divorce and stuff, but at the same time, it's I need to... action now, act- isn't it? Yes, instead of, like... You know what the source is, now you need to take action. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And it also then goes into the being more confident. I just need to be more confident. Yeah. I believe in myself. Yeah, exactly. Like- and once you take action, instead of negatively bleeding into other areas of your life, it'll positively bleed into yeah, exactly, other areas of your life. Yeah, exactly. When people-pleasers do put these healthy boundaries in place, something that I found, and it's something that I've found with other guests too, is that... Some people in our life, normally the negative ones we find out, do drop out or they have their noses proud of joy mm. because when you start putting in healthy boundaries, the people who are walking all over you suddenly realise that they can't do that yet. Have you experienced that yet when you've started to do this? Um, maybe not necessarily the people-pleasing side, but when I moved away from home... I lost a lot of friends in that sense because I think I started to do something that I loved and I was moving on with my life a little bit and they kind of just... Stayed. They didn't stay. They left. Oh, or stayed at home. Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they stayed in the same mental place and you moved on. Yes, and I moved on and one day they just never heard from them again and they haven't spoken to me since. It's just the weirdest thing. Like, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. Sometimes that happens, pal. A hundred percent. And like... Because I've experienced that, I feel like I might find it... A little, I'm starting to find things a little bit easier to deal with now that I'm like, actually, people will walk away. Mm-hmm. But it's for the best. And some people are friends for a certain period of your life and some people are there for life. Yeah, you know I mean? exactly. And, and I just need to accept the fact that... And also, people are in your life for a reason. If, if they walk out of it, it's probably for the best. Mm. So I've not really noticed it too much Yes, yeah, but when you but, put those positive steps in place, maybe you might. But I think I also now put up such a, a wall as well. Like, not many people know much in depth about me because I don't trust very easily now. Okay. And also, I think because I'm surrounded by a lot of people at uni who I don't resonate with. Like, now I don't really have a lot of friends, which is, I think, fine because the people that I do have in my life are people that, like... I truly trust and truly have around Mm -hmm. and I'm not really good at being fake Mm. and I don't want to be fake I find it very draining Mm. so 
I don't really have the people to drop up my life at the minute, I wouldn't say okay. either. You've already, so probably, you've already probably done it. <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah. And I also don't let people in who I don't think I want to let in anymore. Sure, well, like, that's a good I've, thing. I've learned that. Yeah. The other part of your mental health journey I want to discuss is your OCD which mm. you were diagnosed with when you were about 15 or 16. So just take me back to the beginning. When did you start experiencing symptoms related to OCD? How did they impact your mental health? And how did you feel when you were diagnosed? Well, I'll go on to when I was diagnosed. I feel like when I was diagnosed, it was about that like realisation of, okay, I kind of know why I'm doing these things now. Do you know what I mean? Like It, kind of, it made sense. It made yeah. sense. I mean, when I was growing up, once I had got diagnosed, my mum was like, oh, you did show, like, signs. Thinking about it now, like, there was little things you did. It mainly came about when I was in, like, a bad place mentally. It still comes back every now and then, you know, when you're, like, really stressed or something. And But I just know how to deal with it better now. When I was really stressed and I do these weird things. Rituals. It, rituals where, like, for example, I'd have to, like, flick the light switch six times I was like I had to do things in sixes as well and it was little things like that and I was like that can't be I can't go around my life flicking the light switch six times every time like I feel like something's gonna go wrong and it was in my head I was like if I don't do this then I'm gonna get ill like mm, you're warding off something yeah, yeah. exactly I had a lot of guests who've got OCD who have told me about the idea of warding off bad things almost like a spiritual thing yeah like jinxes yes and I still have like little like I know quite a few people do it like touch wood and stuff but I actually think inside that that's actually good if I don't do it it's gonna happen yeah yeah, there's that part of me that's like oh I like I need to do that so I was like I need to do something about this and I spoke to my mum and I got to the point where I was like I wasn't eating at one point because I was like so like I just couldn't go anywhere really without doing all this stuff. Mm. And I was like, I can't. Rituals were in control. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was just following me everywhere. And then when I got diagnosed, I had therapy where we worked on it. And that was tough. Like, but also it's so hard, I find, to do therapy online. So like we did it online, obviously because it was locked down. But and what therapy was it? Was it CBT? Beha- yeah, 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 yeah. So we went through like lots of like behavioural therapy for that. And like I know how to deal with it better now. And I've realised that Basically, in a nutshell, that flicking a light switch isn't going to control what happens in the future. But obviously, in that time, you don't know that. And it's so consuming. Where that stemmed from, I'm not sure. Probably just everything I'd been through, really. Mm. It just caught up on me. And I was like... And it just came out in that way. Did it ever come into your thought process of, if I do this, then something else related to divorce might happen or something bad might happen to my mum or my grandparents or well, something things related to that in your life? Yeah, so not necessarily the divorce because that had happened at that point. But like it was mainly a lot to do with people getting ill and like me getting ill because it's like my worst fear is death, (laughs) to put it (laughs) bluntly. So that's something I struggle with. So it's like that's the automatic thought that came to my head. Now, if it comes back, it's little things like, oh, if I don't do this, I won't, my song won't do very well. But then I'm like, because obviously it's not as bad as it was so it's like little things in day-to-day life control seems like a key element here yeah Yeah. and i also struggle with that now like when you said control even when i have to rely on other people in music aspects uni for example i really struggle with to relinquish that yeah i do that i do i do struggle because i'm like i'm such a perfectionist myself yeah Yeah, you hate anyone else doing it (laughs) yeah Yeah. it's hard it's hard foul a hundred percent so 
yeah, it's been a journey with OCD, but I've definitely come out of the other side. Obviously, as I said, it creeps up on you every now and then when you're stressed and like... But as I said, I think I've learned how to deal with it. So what positive tools have you learned? Are there any practical ones that you do in your head when you feel a ritual coming on and an urge to do it or to stop the rituals coming back? Like, how have you found that? Um, Because CBT will give you that. Yeah, of course. It was one of those things where I kind of just sit there and have to let myself sit there and just tell myself that me doing this thing like I have to kind of like talk to myself because otherwise I can just because also these little things I could be getting out of the shower and it could just be a quick like touch of the door handle or something but I'm like just little things like that I can't do because it will just build up again mm. so it's just I tend to just like walk past and if I get a thought it's like I need to go back and do that I'm like no I don't and I just keep going and I like I have to like fight my brain to just deal with it it seems to work so you kind of give yourself an affirmation like this won't happen if I don't do this. Yeah, yeah. because I feel like I've only got myself to. So you that can handle it. Ex- yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I also I still struggle because I do a lot of like pull my hair quite a lot when I'm like stressed. It's why I like put my hair up like this because when I pull my hair, obviously it's not good for me. But I do it a lot without realizing. Mm. And my mum will always look at me and she'll stop pulling your hair, stop pulling your hair. <laughs> and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm like doing. It. But it's like I still have little like stress. Ticks, yeah, yes, yeah. and like I always like fiddle with my fingers and stuff. Like that. So I feel like it's kind of gone in another. But I, I do that without thinking, and it's like maybe it's my body just. Do you feel like it's like in a little bit of a trance state when you do that? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe it's just other ways I deal with it. Really. What did you learn about yourself through the therapy? I did learn a lot of resilience. I say that I don't have much resilience, but I do, especially with like. Say it with your chest. Come yeah. On. <laughs> Um, because obviously to overcome such like horrible thoughts and to actually come out the other side of it is actually resilient in itself and I have to deal with that every day to just keep going and ignore them and yeah resilience Mm. you mentioned earlier in the podcast about personal training and you've started to add to it as a string to your bow. And you, you said to me off air that your dream would be to personally train some of the big pop stars. You know, I read mm. an article about the inside world of this with Taylor Swift and people like this. So what was the origin of the desire outside of what we discussed about wanting to have the backup plan? And why did you want to make it more than just a self-care tool? Yeah, so I loved the gym for a few years and I found that it was really good for my mental health. Like you'd go and you just forget about everything. And... I was like, I actually enjoy this enough to want to help other people. Another saturated market. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) don't even. I'm like going into... (laughs) When I had a job at a gym a few months ago, they were like, you've chosen another great industry to join. There's a pattern emerging here, pal. I'm like, brilliant. Uh, But I enjoy these things, which is why I want to pursue them. Mm. And there's many avenues, once again, that you can go down in the personal training route. But I think just the love for it, really, is why I wanted to do it. The passion, yeah. Yeah, and also it won't be in an ideal world it's kind of like my second choice should I say like music is my main thing Mm. but to have a second choice and have hopefully have another job that I actually love is actually very lucky so yeah the love for it really let's reflect on your mental health journey now so similar question as before what has this mental health journey taught you about yourself first of all um I've become so aware with how I deal with things and also how different people deal with different things. 
and I think it's such a good thing to become aware because when you're unaware of how you're reacting it can become very stressful whereas like therapies help me a lot with that if I didn't have my counsellor I wouldn't become so aware of everything I've dealt with I've definitely become stronger like I've come out of so many things that definitely strength has got to be one of them but yeah just I've learned that yeah I've learned how I deal with things and the strength to do it and as a final question if you could go back and talk to the 12 or 13 year old Yasmin whose parents are just divorced the Yasmin who was about to do that audition for LCCM during the COVID-19 lockdown or the Yasmin who was struggling with her OCD rituals what would you say to her knowing what you do now it's such funny my song that came out yesterday is about that it's like the demons in your head is like telling your younger self that it's all going to be okay and like I want to show my younger self that I'm here I care and like you will come out of it and you I feel like also life isn't linear you're never going to be on one road and one Neither road is recovery and <laughs> um, yeah reco- found out. exactly so yeah recovery for example like with therapy it's like one week I will be dealing with the situation with my dad really well. Next week I'll be like really struggling. One minute I'll be like, oh yeah, I'm I'm so good. And then the next week I'm like crying in a ball. <laughs> it's like, it's never linear at all. And uh, telling my younger self, yeah, everything's going to be fine is the main thing. And I'm a true, true believer in everything happens for a reason. And going back to like these friends that I lost, I'm like, I'm so glad actually because... They're not like my you've got people. New great friends. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah, everything happens for a reason. And if even something as little as like my song doesn't get played on BBC radio, for example, it happened for a reason. Do you know what I mean? Like I keep I always tell myself that everything we go through will open another path somewhere else. So everything happens for a reason. Everything will be fine. Our final topic of conversation, Yaz, and it's one I try and have with all of my special guests if we have time. It is a general natter and quick fire chat about our mental health. So firstly, how is your mental health? Uh, Up and down. Okay. Scale out of 10? Six. Six. Okay. So not amazing, but not bad. No, 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 no. I've been in worse stages of my life. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. (laughs) What age were you when you became self-aware of your mental health and you realised that the feelings you were having weren't physical and they were actually in your mind? Um, well, for one, when I got diagnosed with OCD, so 16 probably. 16, okay. But definitely more recently, probably last year. Okay. Probably quite late. <laughs> and can you remember the first conversation you had with someone about your mental health? So who is it with? What did you say? And how do you look back on it? Did it feel like a really big moment and a weight had been lifted or on the other something quite easy and normal to do um from what i can remember probably my mum and probably quite easy to do i feel like it just flows into conversation and i feel like because we're quite open with each other anyway it came quite easy i think as i said the first thing i remember like is the ocd so and there was obviously things in my early life that probably led up to that happening but it was just more that i didn't want people to think i was weird because you know like doing things like filling with the light switch is just try and mask it as well yeah 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 yeah. yeah. so to let it out was actually quite nice what things outside of say stress which we've talked about already do you find that trigger your mental health so it could be things people say to you it could be a sound a particular sensation or smell or have you not figured all of them out yet there's it's not necessarily a specific thing that people say but definitely 
people saying things <laughs> <laughs> like something could as i said i'm quite sensitive and i feel things very easily like emotions so someone could probably say something quite abrupt or straight to the point that obviously they mean well saying it but it could actually really affect me mm. so probably people saying things not okay. necessarily something nasty but just in general like yeah and what positive tools and methods do you use to improve your mental health or help you feel better which ones have you found that have worked maybe which ones that you've tried but haven't therapy for one <laughs> i do believe everyone should have it i think it's great it's just so nice to like let all your feelings off to a stranger who's there and actually going to help you it's like one of the best things i've ever done and like seeing this person weekly just grounds me for the week and like whether it's something little or whether it's something big you know you can just talk about it and it's just so nice to let it off also just looking after yourself having some time off surrounding yourself with the right people yeah if there was a mantra in life that summed up your mental health what would it be and why um everything happens for a reason okay love that what has been the best book, or as I call it, mental health Bible you've read for your mental health? Now, it can be mental health or self-help related. doesn't exclusively have to be. And if you can't think of a book, a TV show, film, any piece of popular culture. Um, the Art of Not Giving a The fuck. Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's come up a lot. That's come up a lot. <laughs> <laughs> because, it's, yeah, as I said, there's one thing I need to do. Yeah. <laughs> Got two questions left. The first one is, what do you love about yourself? How deeply I feel things. Yeah. Because I think it's nice that you can feel things so deeply. It can be tough. <laughs> but, yeah, that. Okay. And the final question, Yaz, it's another broad one. You can answer it any way you want. What more do you think we have to do to ensure people from all backgrounds, all walks of life, feel comfortable and safe in opening up about their mental health issues or just their general mental health if, most importantly, they want to do it? I think be more kind, just to put it like, yeah, be more kind. And opening up should be something that we all feel like we can do. And I feel like it's it's all, it's difficult, that question, actually. Mm. <laughs> Obviously, it all depends on your surroundings and everything. Surrounding yourself with the right people yes. is just the main one, I think. Because as I've learned, when you're around people that, you don't resonate with or you don't feel comfortable with there's nothing worse and you're never going to be yourself trust so, is not a thing that you can build easily oh, with them either. exactly so people you trust definitely mm. that is a great way to end yaz thank you so much for coming on behind the mic and thank talking you. to me pal. thank you for having me Well, that's all we've got time for in this episode of Behind the Mic. I want to say a big thank you to Yasmin for being my special guest on this episode and letting me go behind the mic with her. Yasmin's newest and latest single that we discussed, Demons, will play us out and I'll put all of Yasmin's streaming and social media links in the show notes as always. I'll sign us off by saying thank you to all the vendors who've tuned into this episode. Remember, if you've liked what you've heard, please give it a share on social media. Tell your friends or work colleagues about it. If you're feeling generous, write us a review and give us a five-star rating Apple podcast to help us out with the algorithms. If you want to support us further, you can do so by going to www.patreon.com slash venthelpuk or you can go to our link tree, that's linktr.ee slash venthelpuk, or one word, to find out more about all the other ways you can financially support Vent. Stay tuned for the next episode of Behind the Mic. And remember, guys, 
it is always okay to vent. Things come.